Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Mossville, Louisiana, a once thriving community founded by former enslaved and free people of color, and an economically flourishing safe haven for generations of African-American families. Today, it's a breeding ground for petrochemical plants in their toxic black cloud. Many residents are forced to leave their homes, and those who stay suffer from prolonged exposure to contamination and pollution. Amid this chaos and injustice stands, one man refuses to abandon his family land and his community. And that is the backstory, the premise behind this terrific documentary film called Mossville, When Great Trees Fall. And we are joined today by the director, as well as, I believe, producer uh, of, the, of the film, and that would be Alexander John Glustrom. Welcome to Film School Radio, Alexander. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Well, how did you find Stacy Ryan what was the what were the circumstances that brought you into his life well living in Louisiana I've always been very fascinated by the petrochemical plants and refineries that line our rivers and highways I know that they are destructive and cause a lot of you know, terror for people here who live near them um, but they're also mesmerizing um, as a photographer the the lights and fire and smoke um, that emanate from these developments are they're just like mesmerizing. You know, sometimes you feel like a moth that's pulled towards the light when you look at these, because um, you know that you know they're harmful, but they're also just just so beautiful. And um, I always thought they would make a great backdrop for a film. Um, and I got the opportunity when an environmental rights lawyer named Monique Hardin she approached me after um, a panel discussion for my first film called Big Charity. Her and I were on the panel together, because she's a environmental rights and civil rights lawyer in Louisiana, um, based in New Orleans. She's a very well-known figure. Um, she spent her whole career fighting for environmental equality and, and civil justice. Um, and so she approached me after the panel discussion and said, I want to take you to this place called Mossville. Um, I think this could be your next film. And I was very, um, I didn't really believe her at the time. I kind of was like, a little, a little unsure of what it would be like. I really had no idea. But I could tell by the way that she said Mossville that it was something, that this place held a lot of meaning, that it held a lot of power. And, um, you know, she said it almost, she said it with pain in her voice, but also reverence. And I could tell by the way she said it that there was something there. Um, and so I went out there a couple of days later. Um, and I thought she was going to take me out there. I thought she would drive, drive with me out there. Because that's what she said. I want to take you there. And, um, yeah, so anyway, the day came that she was going to take me out there, and I called her that morning and said, are you ready to go? And she said, I actually can't go out there today. I've got things to do. Um, something came up, but here's the address. You'll be fine. Um, so I hopped in my car with my camera and head out there um, about a three-hour drive west from New Orleans. When you, The first time I saw Mossville was very impactful for me. Um, it, was, it was right as the sun was setting. I was coming up over the, the bridge over the Takashi River. And, you know, in Louisiana, everything is completely flat. So when you get to the top of this bridge, it's one of those really tall bridges so the, the boats can go under it. So when you get to the top of it, you know, it's the tallest point for, for what feels like hundreds of miles. So you could just see as far as you can. I got to the top of the bridge, and I was just met with a, a panorama of 
chemical plants, um, as far as I could see, that fire and smoke and lights just all around me. It was, um, you know, a really an entire panorama view of, of these industries. Went down into the bridge, right into the middle of this cluster of chemical plants, and that's where the remnants of Mossville lay. Um, I was met by a number of community members who all met me in the recreation center who had been waiting for me to come and were very excited to meet me, which just kind of felt like a lot of pressure to walk into this room and have a whole table full of people waiting for me, mostly elderly folks. I explained who I was, and, and at the time, I didn't really think that I would make a feature-length documentary film. I, my plan was to make a short piece, something that Monique could use, um, short film, maybe shop it around um, to different journalistic outlets as you know, something that's happening right in the moment. Spent the night there, and then the next morning I was driven out to, um, I, I did an interview with a guy named Ronald Carrier, who's an old, old-timer old who lives in Mossville, and he said, you know, I should take you to meet this guy named Stacy. And I, I could tell by the way he said it that like, Stacy was, was different, was interesting. And I said, that'd be great. And he said, you know, he lives over in um, a part of Mossville that they've already begun clearing houses out, so he's out there all by himself. And um, so he drove me out there, and when I pulled into Stacy's neighborhood, um, everything had started to be cleared, but it was still there's still a good amount of greenery and, and trees and stuff, but no houses. It's also the part of the of Mossville that abuts um, the closest petrochemical plant, and so you know that's right right next to him is um, the smokestacks for one of these plants. And so I pulled in and was very kind of unsure who was going to walk out of this this trailer sitting there, and um, out walks uh, cheery, jolly Stacy Ryan, and um, that was the first time I met him. I knew immediately that he was an incredibly interesting person, that he would make a great spokesman, a great character. He's charismatic. He's very smart, very articulate, um, very honest, very vulnerable. He's funny, but he's also serious. He has an incredible story, an incredible amount of sadness and trauma that he's been through, but he still finds a way to see the bright side. He has a great outlook on life. And um, I, I knew after spending the evening with him that, that he was, was going to be someone that um, was going to get to know him really well. And um, that was the beginning. And, I, and the other thing about Stacy and the reason why I thought he'd make a great character or something that was important was that he really wanted me there. He really wanted me to tell his story. I could tell by some of the people that I talked to in Mossville, they were a little unsure about filming, how much they wanted to let me in. Stacy invited me into his home the first day and wanted me to basically just move in with him and film him every day. Um, and that's, that's obviously a great thing for, for a character in a documentary film is, is their eagerness to participate. Um, and so that's how it began. And I went back the next week and the next week, and um, I, I spent about a year and a half with Stacy uh, in that piece of property. Let's talk about the historic place that Mossville has in Louisiana. I, I mentioned it in the introduction, that it, uh, how it began. In your film, we, we see this fully formed community, an enclave for African-American people in, in a very hostile, otherwise hostile environment. Tell us a little bit about the history of Mossville. Well, Mossville was founded, we don't know exactly when, because it was technically a, an illegal settlement when it first was founded, because it was um, a place that was kind of hidden away in the swamps that either people of color who had won their freedom or who had escaped um, or had somehow gained freedom from plantations in the area, they formed a little a little community, kind of hidden away. And then after the Civil War and the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, they um, kind of formed it into an official little town. And so we don't know exactly when it was founded, but we know it was definitely founded before the Civil War ended. Uh, it was it was a safe haven. It was a it was 
it was a difficult place to live, but it was a thriving community and, and people made it work. And it was initially, I think that in the, in the official founding of the town, I think there were about a dozen families who, um, who founded it. There's a, there's a little mural um, that we show in the film and each one of the branches is a different family member's name. That was one of the founding families. And um, it was a, a safe haven from the, the violence and terror that was Jim Crow, Louisiana. They had their own garden. They had their own fire department. They had their own schools. They, they built a, a completely isolated community. And I think in a lot of ways that was, that's why Stacy is the perfect character for this story because he, he's a reflection of the, of the founding of this town um, where it was a form of resistance just to exist. We say, we say existence as a form of resistance. And they just wanted to be left alone. And, and at the time, that was radical. Um, that was, that was um, a form of activism, was to form your own self-sufficient town, to separate yourself from um, the other towns where blacks and whites lived in the same spaces and, um, to, be, and to be safe from um, the Ku Klux Klan and the, and the lynchings and the violence that happened all through Louisiana, just the, the daily racism and segregation that was happening. Um, and that, that's that's Mossville's history. That's how it was founded. And the people, the people, the families, the you know, we're, we're now four or five generations down the road, and and the people who lived there were very proud that their ancestors built this town to be what it was. It was it was blood, sweat, and tears, and and they and they did it. Um, and I think that's what makes it even more painful that it was taken away from them. It is a remarkable story that Mossville, when great trees fall. And I'll remind our listeners that we're speaking with the director of the film, and that would be Alexander John Glustrom. And you're right. One of those stories that when you hear it, given what I know of, as you said, the Jim Crow South, it's uh, it's remarkable. It's hard to believe in some ways that it was able to sustain itself for as long as it does. And it also provides the audience watching this film with an understanding, a context for uh, uh, Stacey Ryan's commitment to not want to leave his this home that he is still living in that is completely encircled by the development of this by this uh, company Sasol uh, a South African company that its roots go back to the apartheid South Africa uh, and to see it completely um, surrounded by this hostile environment to see his home that way it's uh, it's jarring but it's also and this is where the film kind of dives into uh, Stacy's motivations for wanting to stay there and to see what he has to do in order to navigate that particular decision to stay there is a testament to him, but also uh, it's, it's a jarring thing to watch in the film. Were you, in making the film as you got to know him, how much of an impression did that leave on you watching what he had to do in order to sort of this this last stand if you will commitment that he had um it left a, a massive impression on me um you know i was i was there experiencing it with him so you know even though i was was filming um i was also in that environment with him every day and it's a very hostile environment and so i was feeling it too it was exhausting and it was painful and at times I, I wondered about the, the ethical factors that go into filming somebody as they sometimes it felt like he was dying and I was filming him go through this incredibly hard experience and um, he wanted me there and he didn't he didn't hide anything from me and 
he wanted me to be filming everything and it was important to him that, that this was documented but it was it was really hard and at times i had a lot of uh conflicting emotions around whether i should be there and also how much my presence was affecting what was happening you know i wondered well is he just staying here to do this for me and if i wasn't to be there would he still be doing this and if that's the case then is my presence what if he dies out here trying to to do this and it's because i was out there filming him i wondered whether whether my presence was was manipulating the outcome of what was happening and i really tried to not influence anything and he would often ask me you know what do you think I should do he'd always always ask me for advice and and I would really it'd be such a difficult question for him to ask me because um, you know you have two conflicting parts as a, as a filmmaker and as a human being the filmmaker in you is like this is epic and this is amazing and this is an important story and I want to I want to be here to film this you know whatever happens and you know he said he's going to chain himself to the tree if he had to and like that's going to be you know powerful footage but the human being in you is also like this is this is somebody's life and he could die out here and he has a son and, and like I don't want I don't want him to die and he's a friend and I, I didn't want him to to die I didn't want him to have to go through too much and I wanted to be him to be able to provide for his son so I think that when he finally decided to to leave the property it was it was relieving for me it was um, I was glad it was time um, and he knew it was time yeah. and um, he made his point and, uh, but it was difficult, and it left a huge impression on me. It's something I'll never, ever forget are spending all those many nights with him in his trailer. I mean, a lot of times not even filming. You know, I, I, would, I would sleep with him in his trailer, and we would you know, talk through like late into the night. Um, I sometimes slept in his son's bed when his son was you know, like with the mom. And um, it was, it was, uh, he, he became a good friend, and he'll, he still is a good friend to this day, and I, and I love Stacy. Yeah. Well, and what you're talking about, uh, in, and it's explored in the film, is, and part of our discussion, I think, around the film Mossville has to be about the environmental racism, the, the uh, essentially the danger that many communities of color in this country face by their proximity to chemical plants, all kinds of different hazards that most of the rest of society has virtually no idea is even happening, let alone the impact it's having. Um, and the family history of the Ryan family, of his mother and father, the extended family, uh, is riddled with uh, these devastating illnesses, cancer, all kinds of different... I'm not even going to try and re remember all of these devastating illnesses, but... So his fear and your fear, as you expressed it, are real and and present. They had to be, as you said, co a constant factor in what you were doing. And for for Stacy, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. The way you put it is uh, is absolutely right, and that's how you can see that in the film. How dedicated he is to maintaining and carrying on the history and the memory of what Mossville was a little bit about the family history because it's it sort of it's just a, a, a an atomic bomb inside of a family as to what they've gone through and it I don't think there's any it's not a stretch for me to say directly related to their proximity to the largest petrochemical community if that's the right word to put the uh, chemical um established business uh, in probably in the United States. I, I, am I, I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but it's probably pretty close. Yeah. I mean, it's from basically from New Orleans to Houston is the you know, industrial belt of the South. 
all along the Mississippi River. Uh, they call it Cancer Alley. This is this is definitely one of the biggest clusters, but really the entire way um, is lined with with these chemical plants and refineries, um, and they're they're kind of right in the middle of that. Um, so that's definitely true. And there was a there have been many documented spills and releases that have happened there. Um, in the 1990s, there was a methylene dichloride leak into the ground, um, and this pipe was leaking for six months before they even found out. And people in Mossville had wells and they drew their water from the groundwater and this ethylene dichloride was leaking into their drinking water and the rates of cancer were astonishing. Um, reproductive disorders in the women were really disturbing. Every, every kid who grows up there is on breathing treatments and has asthma and there's just incredibly high amounts of, of disease and cancer. There have been a number of buyouts that have happened in the community so the way the way it, it often happens in in louisiana at least and i'm sure other places is when one of these leaks happens before a class action lawsuit can take place what the the guilty company will do is they won't admit guilt but they will offer a buyout to people who live there and they'll say you know we know that it's really hard to live here but and we'll give you you know, we'll buy your property from you so you can move. Um, and a lot of folks in Mossville, especially around the time of this ethylene dichloride spill, um, saw the opportunity to move from a place that had been ruined and took money to leave. What they didn't realize is when they took that buyout settlement, they were also signing away any rights to sue for any health-related issues that they may have. Uh, so that's actually what happened to Stacy's parents God. is um, – they they took a buyout money and moved. Um, they both died soon after, and they couldn't they couldn't sue the company. And also, you know, a lot of the folks there they don't have access to to lawyers and and legal advice. And um, you know, the, the few the few environmental rights lawyers and civil rights lawyers like Monique Hardin and others who who represent them, you know, are doing it on a shoestring budget and they're fighting against this massive multinational company that has, you know, a team of corporate lawyers and, and it's hard, it's hard to win these settlements. And, you know, a lot of people say like, how is this legal? How did this happen? Our, our justice system is supposed to not let this happen. And, you know, in Louisiana, the legal system favors these companies more than people. And that's what's happened in Moscow. It's what happened. It's what's happened all over Louisiana and, and probably all over the country and all over the world. I mean, these, these, Oil and gas companies are able to get away with so much because of the economic driver that they are and our dependence on fossil fuels. It's in the film, the company Sassel, uh, as, as I said, is based out of South Africa. And there's a moment in the film where they have a facility in South Africa that is the largest producer of carbon dioxide on the planet. So that gives you yeah. some idea of the kind of company we're, that that is the, it's up up front and center in Mossville. And not only are they a bad polluter, I mean they have a history. Their history has they have a dark history even beyond being a polluter. You know, they were founded during apartheid in South Africa. So this was a time when there was incredible racial violence happening all over South Africa, so bad that the rest of the country, the rest of the world had put oil embargoes on South Africa to get them stop, to stop this racial violence. And South African government said, we'll create our own company that can provide energy for us so we can keep racial apartheid going. And so Sassol's founding was to keep racial apartheid alive. People say Sassol was founded to keep the lights on for racial apartheid, and that's true. Oh. It's a remarkable film. 
The documentary, again, is called Mossville, When Great Trees Fall. When Great uh, Trees Fall, it's, a, it's after a Maya Angelou poem that she blessed us with, with uh, the rights. The uh, film is opening here in Los Angeles on May 8th, and I'll, I'll say that virtually opening in theaters here in Los Angeles. And that's part of this uh, effort on the part of keeping independent theaters alive. You go to, I believe you can go to the mossvilleproject.com website to find out how you can watch the film and part of the proceeds for uh, for it will go to independent theaters here in Los Angeles. It's opening in New York on May 7th, and I'm sure it will be opening in other markets around the country. Is, is Do I have that correct? Yeah, we're going to play these virtual virtual theatricals all around the country for the next month or two, and then we um, have a national broadcast deal with PBS, um, so it'll air in uh, late May, early June around the country on PBS. Uh, it's Real South. Real South. Real South. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Alexander John Glustrom, this is, uh, like I said, people need to see this for a lot of different reasons, um, and it's a well-told story. It's a one man's attempt to, um, brave attempt to keep um, a memories alive, to keep a, a legacy alive, as well as shining a light on something that has gotten so little attention in the history of our country, uh, having to do with the proximity of communities of color to these exceedingly dangerous environmental disasters and the force to live in these communities where they have little recourse except to to exist in a toxic environment. And um, it, there's a lot of reasons to watch this film. And I, anything that you'd like to leave us with in terms of your uh, moving forward, uh, other people can somehow, if they're interested in pursuing this particular issue with Mossville and environmental racism, anything along those lines you would like to add to our conversation? Yeah, sure. I think that um, we're in a moment right now with this virus that I hope can give everybody a little bit of understanding of what it's like to live with an invisible killer that could be all around you. That is something that people who live next to petrochemical plants at fence line communities know all too well. Um, and there's a psychological terror that goes along with that. Except the difference with this virus is you can stay in your house for the most part and be safe from it. If you live next to one of these plants, it comes through your windows, it comes through your drinking water, and it kills your loved ones. And I hope that we can all have a little bit more empathy for what that's like for folks who live next to these. And additionally, you know, when we talk about environmental racism, the same systemic inequities that create environmental racism that cause communities of color to have less less access to clean air and clean water are the same forces that are causing communities of color to die at a higher rate from this virus, causing yeah. health disparities. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. And and the last thing I'll say is, is I, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but during this time, the EPA has stopped regulating these facilities. It doesn't make any sense other than the fact that it's an opportunity because everybody is in shock and the news cycle is dominated by the virus that they've been able to let these companies pollute as much as they want. The EPA has stopped giving fines to these companies during this lockdown. So that means that these industrial plants that cause all this sickness for many years, I mean, you've experienced these things when they're at a legal limit. They are terrifying. To think that they are now polluting as much as they want and you have people who are staying at home, sheltering in place right next to these facilities, it's, it's disgusting, and it's terrifying, it's unforgivable, and it's criminal. And I, I hope that this can just be another reason 
for people to get out and, and, and try to make a change because this federal administration is disgusting and, and it's criminal. And I hope people are aware of that. It's, it's unforgivable. Thank you. Thank you for that. Again, the film is Mossville, When Great Trees Fall, and we have been talking with the director of the film, and that is Alexander John Glustrom. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.